Welcome to the Art of Healthcare podcast, where we aim to be as good at the human side of healthcare as we are at the clinical side of healthcare. My name is Chris Desmond. I'm a physiotherapist who's fascinated by how we can better help the person with the problem. Join us as we learn how to connect better, how to show up better, and how to understand our patients and ourselves better. Welcome to the Art of Healthcare show. This is the podcast where we are joined by experts to help us get better at helping the person with the problem. Today, I've got Tyson Franklin with me and Tyson has been a podiatrist for over 30 years. He's opened more than 20 podiatry clinics, quite a few. And he's also the author of It's No Secret There's Money in Podiatry and the host of the Podiatry Legends podcast. Yes. Tyson, welcome, mate. Well, thank you for inviting me to uh, come on. We've, uh, we've known each other for a little while now. Never met in person, but I feel like I know you really well. Yeah, it's interesting. We must have had, uh, what, 10 or 15 different conversations, quite deep conversations as well. And yeah. like have never, yeah, n- never even been close to meeting in person. Actually, no. no almost. We almost oh, it's last, at the yeah. dietary conference last year. We were both talking at the same conference and COVID hit COVID a month before. Yeah, yeah. And that, that put that uh, to bed very quickly. Yeah. One day, mate, one day we'll, we'll catch up in person. Tyson, I always like to kick things off, buddy. Just by asking, why are you interested in the art of healthcare? Why are you interested in the, like, the human side of healthcare? Uh, that, yeah, that is an interesting question because it's what, what interests me with healthcare in general. Like when I first got into healthcare, I got into it, and this is going to sound very, very superficial. I got in it for the money. And the reason for that, I was going to be an art teacher. So it's funny when you talk about art of healthcare as well. So I was going to be an art teacher and my brother was doing dentistry. And he said, what do you want to be an art teacher for? And I said, because I enjoy it and I'm good at it. And he said, oh yeah, but do something in healthcare. Because if, as long as you do something in healthcare, you will, there will always be a need. You'll never be unemployed and you'll always make probably above average income, depending on where you work. So it wasn't about making a ton of money or becoming really rich. It was just about employment, being wanted and making a good living. So when I was tossing up what to do in the whole healthcare area, there were a lot of options I've chosen, but a friend of mine who I went through school with for you know, 12 years, and I went back and repeated because I do a lot of subjects to become an art teacher, not to do something in healthcare. So I had to drop manual arts and drop art and had to take up physics and chemistry and biology. I hadn't done any of them. Maths one, maths two, had to just learn it all in one year. So I did that. And then the friend that went through school with me happened to do podiatry. And he said, uh, so what are you going to do next year? I said, I'm not sure. I'm going to do something in healthcare. And he said, uh, you should do podiatry. I went, okay, what's that? His feet. And I went, oh, bugger off feet. There's a course on feet. He said, well, I yeah, feet, lower limbs. He said, but what, why I think you should do it and why you'll be good at it, it's, there's a, there's a big area in there moving into sports medicine and you're right into, yeah, athletics, playing football and into sport. But they make these things called orthotics. They go inside people's shoes. He said, knowing your art background, he said, I reckon you will just take to it so easily. And I did. So that's, what, that's why I chose podiatry. And then once I'm in it, what I like about healthcare in general, I don't think it matters which health profession you're in, is 
we change people's lives pretty much for the better. That's what we do. Whether they're seeing a physio like self, uh, podiatrist, whether they're seeing a psychologist, the end result is we make people's lives better. So, and we, we help them live longer and more enjoyable. So take the money side away. And even though I'm still so, you know, I still enjoy the money, but knowing you have someone coming to your clinic that you can, that you've got the knowledge to change something in their life for, for a positive outcome. And then them thanking you for doing that. And even they've paid you for your time, but they're still thanking you for helping them. It's a great feeling. So yeah, if people don't stay in healthcare for that reason, and I think when people leave the healthcare industry and do something completely different, yeah, that's got nothing to do with that side of things about caring for people. I think they never understood that aspect of it. They never caught on or got the enjoyment out of, um, helping other people. Yeah. Interesting. Thank you for telling that story. I didn't, I didn't know that about you actually, that you wanted to be an art teacher. Yeah. That's why I've got an earring. Oh, is it? Yeah. So I was going to be an art teacher. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. You got that specifically to become an art teacher. I know I had that beforehand, but um, <laughs> around the same time. Yeah. Ah, fascinating. Mate. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff in that. I'm actually, I'm, I'm quite interested. Like I failed third form art here in New Zealand. So yeah. I don't know what, like, what that is. Yeah. Year eight art. I failed it somehow. Oh, God. My house, I don't know. My fish were just shit, I guess. Was um, that a brother? My brother couldn't draw a straight line with a ruler. So he they resembled fish. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I didn't, maybe I didn't, uh, didn't understand it well enough. Are there, are there kind of overarching rules to art? Or is it just kind of a do what you want approach? I know there's so many rules. There, there's so much theory behind mm. art. So like I, I enjoyed, yeah, some people can get a, a pencil and they can get that and they can sketch somebody and make them look, you know, and they go, wow, that's just amazing. No, I couldn't do that sort of stuff. I was not, I couldn't really, I wasn't the greatest drawer. I wasn't the greatest painter. I wasn't the greatest at sculpting things with clay or making things out of wire. But what, what I think, what I, I think I thought I was good enough at art to teach art, but I was never an amazing artist in any way. But then I didn't realize until say leaving school and you know, becoming an adult and, and working like reflecting back now that it, it was more the creative side of things. So if I was doing grade 12 now, I probably would have gone into marketing. So I had a creative mind. And I didn't realize that having a creative mind, music is part of having a creative mind. I see your music gear behind you there. So once again, you may have failed art at school, but you're obviously still the creative, but you had a bit of an arty farty background to have a piano, a keyboard behind you and a guitar. Mm. So I think I was good enough at art to become an art teacher because I liked the concept of art and and, the, and there was, there was a lot of theory to art as well, but as far as me ever being a famous artist, oh no, no, not at all. But writing, yeah, writing is an art. Mm. So I've, it's a create, I think it's the creative side to it. That is what, inter so I thought the only way you could become creative, you have to be an art teacher, but no, there's so many other aspects to it. Yeah. And I think it's, it, it's really interesting and we can, we can bring a lot of creativity into our professions as well. And I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I've heard you described as a podiatry rock star. 
a little bit of a podiatry rock star. Someone, someone mentioned that to me one day when, when I dropped your name. Hey, oh, I oh my, geez. he's a podiatry rock star, isn't he? That's funny. That's really funny. Legend. I'll go with legend. Legend's <laughs> fault. Um, but rock star I don't know about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, maybe there might've been in the day where you had a bit more hair, mate. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. There's not much there now. It's actually, I think even if my hair grew back miraculously, I would still cut it short. Oh, this is just so much easier to manage. Yeah. Tyson, I, I'm fascinating. I'm fascinating, but I'm also fascinated yeah. in how you bring creativity into day-to-day work as a podiatrist. Well, I think everybody has interests and hobbies and things they do outside of podiatry. See, I, I think some people... I think boring podiatrists or podiatrists, I don't believe are really great, well, not the best at communicating with patients, are ones that just live, eat, and breathe podiatry. That's all they do. The fun outside of podiatry is podiatry. That's all they talk about. That's all they know. Whereas I think the most interesting podiatrists or healthcare practitioners are the ones that bring their interests outside of what they do and they bring it in to their work. So my guitar, when yeah, I used to have my, my guitar used to sit in my consultation room. So when I had a, uh, if a child, if a kid came in and he would see it, say, oh, do you play the guitar? He said, yes, I do. I said, do you play? And I go, yes, I do. I said, when you come back next time, bring your guitar with you. I said, and then, uh, I said, I'll block out an extra five minutes in the book. I said, and you show me something and I'll show you something. And that's what I would do with some of the kids. And so to me, that was bringing my own personality into the, the business and, and I'm a big kid. So like, I'll show you this thing here that just sits on my desk here. So like, you know, I've got my minion here that sits on my desk. Actually, it's a, I've got a universe for sure. It's a drink bottle. Nice. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. But I used to have, but each consultation room was themed with superheroes. So we had, instead of having consultation room one, two, three, and four, we had Superman room, Spider-Man, my room, which my back office was the invisible man because everyone actually never saw me. So we put that in there. <laughs> the toilet door, instead of writing bathroom or toilet on there, we just had Thor's hammer. We see it as a god of thunder. <laughs> and my wife's room was Wonder Woman. The lab where we did all the stuff we had professor x on the door so we just and we slowly were theming the clinic to this whole superhero thing and it was funny how kids would walk out and say oh i was in the green lantern room today and they, and then you get the occasional adult and go i think some of these superhero things it's a little bit silly in a in a podiatry clinic and i go right so you don't have a favorite superhero they went oh no and i said no everybody has the favorite superhero i go I'll find the Hulk. Yeah, don't make me mad. So that was just, that was the same thing. It was just bringing an interest or a hobby into the practice. So I think everybody has a slightly creative, I think everybody can have a, a creative streak. They've just got to dig a little bit deep and find what do you like doing? What interests you? And bring it into your business. Let your patients, you bring the, break the wall down a little bit and let your patients get to know a little bit about you through your interests. So I also like, you know, like the last year or so I've taken up uh, low and slow cooking beyond the smoker. So if I still had my podiatry clinic now, that was, that's what would probably be in our newsletter. What did I cook low and slow this month? 
and I would have, yeah, a video in the newsletter showing them a highlights of what I've made. And that would just be a whole new interest of things that you could talk to your patients about. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating, mate. And I think I, I completely agree with you in terms of the, maybe the people that struggle to connect with their, their clients or their patients the most are the ones that all they think about is the, the clinical aspects, the, the aspects of how do I be, become a great clinician here? And that's what mm. they do at work and that's what they do outside of work and they don't, they don't show their own humanity. And they don't bring the fact that actually they're a person, not just a clinician yeah. to that, to that cons- consultation room or to that, to wherever you're seeing your clients. So I th- that's a, that's a really cool point actually, and, and a way that we can, we can be creative because I think that's, that's something that I've maybe a struggle that I've had over my career at, at times is that I've lost the creative, like I never really saw myself as a creative person. I was always kind of a, uh, a sporty person or an athlete and looking back in hindsight now, actually that's creative, like yeah. being creative with how I move my body and how I interact with, with teammates is really, really creative. It's almost kind of like a, it's a physical art form basically that yeah. I participate in. I think, I think what happened is it was like an era that I grew up in. So I'm like, I'm a bit older than you. And in my day, geez, I sound really old now, but when I was younger, it was like you either played sport and you were like a jock type person, or you didn't play sport. And if you didn't play sport, it was sort of like you weren't blokey enough. So they were the guys that were playing, that were doing music and doing all that, like I said, arty farty stuff. So it was sort of like you either did one or you did the other. You didn't, didn't do both. But me being good at art and wanting to become an art teacher, for some reason that was, I was the only one in the football team that did it. Yeah. And I think there's parallels with that in terms of clinical practice as well, is that to be a great clinician, you almost need to be sterile and just do all of the clinical stuff and not bring in the art side of things as well. But I mean, hopefully that's starting to change at the moment with actually all of the research that bringing in some more creativity and bringing in some more humanity actually delivers better outcomes for our patients in the long run. And I'm really fascinated, Tyson, in terms of like, we've talked a little bit about connection with patients at the moment. Are there any other tips that you have for people in terms of connecting and interacting with the people that come in there, get to serve? Try as many things as you can that are outside your comfort zone. Go and jump out of an aeroplane. Do a bungee jump, go, go karting, shoot a rifle, fish, go on a, yeah, a deep, see what, try scuba diving. Just try everything once because the amount of patients that you'll have come in that that is what, that, that's their passion. That's what they do. So I could have someone who, yeah, skydives all the time. I can create this rapport with them really quickly because I've jumped out of an airplane. I'll only ever do it. I'll never do it again. But just that the, the feeling of what it's like to do that, to do a bungee jump, to yeah, you know, to you know, race a go kart. Just to me, I think the best way to communicate with people is you know, don't say, "Oh, I'm no good at cooking." Grab a recipe book, follow the instructions, 
And if you can treat a patient, you can, you can bake a cake, you can make a pie, get a recipe, follow the instruction and start cooking a couple of things and see how much more interesting you are with some of your female patients that love cooking or your male patients that like cooking. It's just try different things. And, and that was, wasn't exactly that, that someone told me, but a friend, I don't know if you know, Dave Freeze at all. You know, did you talk about him a few times? Yeah. So he's one of the most intelligent people I've ever met in my life. And, and he's a lawyer over in, in Pennsylvania. And he said, when we were talking about podcasts one day, and he said, best advice I can give people is to start listening to things that you would never, ever think that you'd even want to listen to. Oh. He said, because that, he said, you'll be surprised what you can learn by listening to, like, he said, listening to podcasts that is totally outside of your comfort zone, stuff you've got no interest in whatsoever. He said, listen to them and you'd be surprised how much you learn. So I started listening to Glam Nation. It was a glamour podcast. And you've got the earring, mate. I know, but. I was listening to that and I was going, this is bloody good. This was, it was actually really interesting. So then I started listening to some other podcasts and I learned tips on, yeah, all the things that you can do in under four minutes, like yeah, loaded a dishwasher, empty a dishwasher, iron a shirt. It was just all these little, it was just, it was weird. So to me, it's, if you want to communicate with patients better, Listen to things that you normally wouldn't listen to. Try things you've never done. Read books that are sort of stuff that you think I oh, wouldn't be interested in. Just pick it up and read it. And, and what it does, I think it just broadens your mind and you become more interesting. And it's easy to hold because all your patients have got all these different interests. So you want to be able to connect with them somewhere. Yeah, 100%. Mate. And, and I think you like, you get that connection piece with it because you, you start to understand these experiences as well. But when you go and seek out different life experiences and I like, I, I add to that as well, try and do life experiences with different, with different people as well. Yeah. Especially different cultures. So you can see how different people react to, to experiences. I think that's a really, really great way to build empathy as well, because mm. you start to understand, okay, what is this person going through? when they're having this experiences in that way, you're going to be able to feed that back into to dealing with your patients as well as, uh, and understanding kind of where they're coming from because you've gone and sought out all of these different life experiences. I think it just, it adds to nothing's better than when you talk to somebody, yeah, you know, a complete stranger and you start talking to them and they're just interesting. Yeah. They'll be talking about something and then you know a little bit about it. And so you'll mention it and then they know a little bit more than you and that. So, so then you're sitting back and you're listening and, and I've had patients comment when you may have had a conversation with them and you've only said one or two words and they've spoken nearly the whole time. And then I'll say, I love talking with you. And you go, I didn't say anything, but I said enough to spark something in them that they were passionate about, that that's all they wanted to talk about. So I think that's the thing is just learn a little bit about a lot. Yeah. And I think that's, that's one of the, re that's one of the reasons that I loved, um, doing a little bit of vocational rehab and going out to work sites because I yeah. 
would get to see people kind of doing stuff that they were great at. And also I'd get to see really awesome, interesting things that I would never have known about otherwise. Like I'd go to, go to the bread factory where they made all the bread, uh, which is really interesting. And the Whitaker's chocolate factory as well. I've been, been there and watched them make chocolate as well and done some work with the, the guys that, that work there. And it's just like, it's, it's phenomenal going in and seeing that and actually understanding what's going on in there and, and having that add to my practice and then my ability to connect with, with people because I have that understanding. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's just, it's always just been this constant path of learning professionally, getting better at whatever, whatever profession you're in. I think you should be setting a goal that you want to know more than you did the year before and you want to be better or more skillful. And that was always my goal that I would look back and I'd sort of tell myself in 12 months time, I'd want to wish that my future self would not want to be treated by my past self because my future self is so much better. Ooh. So I would always set a goal that I was going to learn something new in podiatry and I was going to be a better podiatrist in 12 months than I am today. And the one in the future wouldn't want to be treated by me because the one in the future knows more. And I just kept pushing myself constantly, just keep improving. So I think you should keep improving professional, but I also think just as a human, just become more, have set a goal just to learn something new. I, you know, I, I was in Arizona, I was there for a conference. I went, hmm, I've got a spare day. I can do this, I can do that. So I decided to go on an Indian, Indian walking trail through the desert, uh, eating berries and nuts and, and just learning what you could survive of. You know, I came across a rattlesnake and bobcat having a fight. Just weird stuff that you don't, that you don't see every day. But I could have just stayed in the motel. So you know what? The conference starts tomorrow. I'm just going to relax by the pool, get a tan, have a beer. But I wanted, I thought, no, I've got this day. I want to experience something that could be a talking point with patients later on. That's, that's awesome, mate. And the rattlesnake bobcat just images, there's going to oh, back in my mind for a while. That was real. I've got a, I'll have to show you a photo later. Yeah. Uh, no, where I took a photo of the, the rattlesnake. You can hear it. I can hear, I've got the video of the rattlesnake. You hear it going, it's pretty cool. Crazy, crazy. Um, I'm interested actually, Tyson, in terms of setting goals. So you, you, you say that you want to be, you want, in 12 months time, you want to be so much better than you are now. Hmm. How do you set goals around that? Well, like, do you set specific goals or do you kind of set a direction that you want to move in and then are open to possibility within that? Because like, you in 12 months time, hopefully knows a whole lot more stuff than you know now, Yeah, which is also maybe stuff that you don't know that you don't know at the moment. If you it being stuff, yeah, yeah, it was probably more about there was no set goal that oh, I want to be an expert at this by this time. It was more a patient would have a problem. Or I might read something and go, I don't really know a lot about that. Why don't I know much about it? So then I'd ring another podiatrist and I go, Do you know anything about this? They go, Oh yeah, and they start telling me. I go, Well, why do they know it and I don't? How did, how did they know about this? So. I would then start just doing some, some reading on it. So it was sort of no specific direction, but anytime I heard something that I didn't know what it was, or I didn't feel I understood it fully, I would make an effort to learn that. Plus I'd also try and just learn a new skill. So even when, when COVID started and I 
said to someone, if you're the same person at the end of COVID as you are at the beginning of COVID, it was a missed opportunity. Yeah. When everything went into, into like lockdown, mm. I think we all had so much time. Everyone was online doing things, perfect opportunity to learn new things. So my goal at that was I'm going to get better at video. I want to get better at editing. I want to get better, just, just become better at video. So I went off and did a one day video course. That's when we're related to be face to face. And, and, and I think that's what I kept doing is you, I want to get better at this, but there was a specific goal and I'll just keep doing things. So when I look back in 12 months, I can say, yes, I'm better now than what I was 12 months ago. And do you have a specific review process that you use? When you well, I have, do that? I have, I've ever told you, I have a, what I call a brain book. So every 12 months, oh, so I've been doing this since 14th of April, 2000. So 21 years now, 20 years. And what it was, I, I, I start a new book every year and I record my thoughts, ideas. It's not a diary. It's not a journal. I don't have dear diary. I don't talk about that sort of stuff, but it, it'll be, I want to learn something. So I'll get online. I want to learn more about it. And I write what I learned in this book and, or you might be running an event. So I'm, when I'm at the event, the notes from that event, I write in this book. So all my learnings, all my thoughts, my ideas, oh, this could be a good idea. I write it in this book and every year I just start a, start a new book. So at the end of the year and at the beginning of the year, I give myself word for the year. So the word for this year was simplicity. So yeah, so every year at the end of the year, I can go back through my book and I've just got notes, ideas, people that have spoken to, if I've had a meeting. So it's like a review of what, what I learned over the year. So anything I've learned, there has to be something about it will be in this book all the way through it. So I've been doing that for the last you know, 20, 21 years. And I look back at my books from 20 years ago, which are just sitting up here and I read some of the stuff from there and I go, did that, did that, did that, accomplish that. God damn, that was a silly idea. <laughs> it's still a silly idea, but I'm not going to cross it out yet. And then I look at something and then I'll go to a book again yeah, five years later and I go, am I still, or I'll go through it. And I've got this, this idea that's been going around in my head for the last 20 years that I've never taken action on, but I haven't given up on it. So yeah, I don't know. So that's how I reflect. I start a book every year and with the books, and usually the book's thick enough that I don't, I won't fill it up and it goes everywhere with me. It doesn't matter where I am. I take this book with me. It's always my backpack. If I go on holidays, I take it. I might, yeah, somebody might be doing something behind a bar that I think, wow, that's really cool. Wonder how, how could you use that in podiatry? I'll take a photograph of it and I'll stick it in my book. Or I'll just grab the book and I'll, I'll write in the book about what I just saw. So yeah, it's like I said, I can then go back and read through the book over the whole year and go, my God, I've learned a lot this year. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. And I think kind of it, as you're actively thinking about like looking for those learning opportunities, then you pick up so many more of them as well. And don't yeah, forget 90% of them because you've just written them down. Yeah. And some people said, oh, I would rather just write it on my computer. No, no, you put it on your computer. You're not going to go back and look at it. Whereas when it's in a hard covered book and you're actually writing stuff in there, 
there's something about writing that is just better than typing, which I think has been scientifically proven. You recall things better by, by writing it down, but you can draw diagrams. And I know that if, if there's stuff on my computer, I just, you don't sit there. It's like your photos on your computer. When do you sit down and go through all your photos on your computer? But if you create a, a photo album or a photo book and you have it on the coffee table, you'll flick through it a couple of times a year. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's just, it's just the feel of, of actually feeling it. So everyone listening to this, get yourself a brain book. So I call it my brain book. So that's where it's like I, I dump ideas into it, conference notes, everything. So that way I can go back through passport. And what I normally do at the end of each year, I get all my brain books out. I sit down for one or two days and I flick through them. I read them and I'll, I'll take some things from it and go, okay, what's something I've been dwelling on over the years? And it just sort of lets me see how far I've come over 20 years too. Mm. Like I said, I read my original book and I go, oh my God, that was just, and also it might be someone says, oh, you should buy shares. In such and such, I get my brain book out, I write it in there. How many times I've written a share in there that I've never taken any action on that have gone through the roof? A lot. How many have been What's that? How many would you have lost tips? Not very many at all. Oh, really? Yeah. No, I was, once I was sitting in an airport and these two guys behind me and they were from a mining company and they were mentioning about, oh, we just hit this big thing. Oh, share price is going through the roof. So they mentioned the name of it and it was like seven cents that it was at. So I wrote it down on this piece of paper, lost it, lost the piece of paper, couldn't find it anywhere. About a year later, I found the piece of paper at the bottom of my bag and slipped underneath something. I went and had a look at the share price. It went from seven cents to like $3.50. And I just went, just, just <laughs> not meant to be. Whereas if I had my brain book with me at the time, I could yeah. have just straight in there. Mate, next time someone gives you a hot tip, don't, don't write it down. Just get your phone out and buy some. Yeah, I know. I know. I was given one there. I was given one yesterday, which I have written down and I need to go and take action on get it. Off, get off this call and then buy some. Tyson, I want to have a talk with you as well about how we, how we show up and how we show up each day for our patients, for our colleagues, but also for ourselves as well. What does well, yeah. showing up mean to you? Showing up to me is it's being your best self. It's been the best version of yourself. So yeah, sitting at home every night, getting totally yeah, getting drunk, drinking too much and not being able to perform the next day is not showing up for yourself. It's because it's not your best self. Yeah. You know, you're going to go to an event where you're going to go to a function. Showing up to yourself to me is thinking ahead of time, who's going to be there, what type of people are going to be there, what outcome would I like from it? So therefore, dress and act accordingly to get the most opportunities out of it. You know, like you'll go to a podiatry conference and I'm sure this happens at a physio conference. You rock up and we see these younger, younger podiatrists or physios walking because they're all super cool, wearing thongs, board shorts and a t-shirt. And you go, and you wonder why you're not taken seriously. Cool. You'll have other, and then the, the first night they'll get hammered at the, at the bar the next day, they don't rock until about 10.30. They've missed the first three or four lectures. The eyes are hanging out of their head. They're all telling each other how much of a hangover they've got. And they're sitting and you see them nodding off, not really paying attention to anything. And they go to the two or three day event. They repeat it the, each day and they leave. And to me, I'm thinking, you had 
your whole profession was there. All you had to do was dress neatly. Don't get, there's nothing wrong with having to drink. We've all done it. We've all had the old time where you've had too many, but think about what, why were you going to that event? What was, was it, was there a learning opportunity? Do you want to meet people? You don't know that person that you connect with could be someone that you're going to be friends with for the next 20 years. It's so many business opportunities coming your way. So to me, turning up for yourself, it's like be the best version of yourself as often as you can. And it's not always possible. Yeah, sometimes you are a crook. Sometimes you do drink too much, but it's, it's being aware when you, yeah, if you are stuffing up, trying to think about being aware of why you're stuffed up and what, what triggered, what caused that. So like, and the reason I say about turning up with thongs and shorts, I think probably the first podiatry conference, maybe that's how I went. Mm. But then I sat there looking at all the people, I used to call them the podiatry gods. They're the ones that everybody knew their name. All were all sitting around in a group and I felt, oh, I don't feel I can go over and talk to them. I didn't feel like I was dressed appropriately. And that, and that was a missed opportunity. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you described me there. Yeah. <laughs> for, a, for a wee while. I don't, I don't tend to do that anymore. Well, you don't have to wear a suit. Like to me, you don't have to wear a suit. Even the last podiatry conference I went to, I did just for, just for fun. But to me, it's just, just dress professionally because you don't know who you're going to meet at those events and what doors they could open. Now they could be, you, you could have two, say for example, physiotherapists or podiatrists, equal caliber and somebody's going is looking for somebody to some opportunity. You got one that's dressed well and one that's wearing thongs, board shorts and a t-shirt and hung over, but they've got the same skill level. Oh. The person's going to choose the one who's dressed well, who doesn't look like they got to bed at four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Probably a smart choice on that day as well. Yeah. And like I say, uh, yeah, I've done it. I've, I've rocked up and what, what's good is probably the last 10 or 15 years. I, I have a conversation, I have a conversation with myself before I go there, with my future self. And I've done this for a lot of different things. So I'll say, okay, future self, at about 9.30 tonight, the event would be finished. We would have had dinner. We'll probably be around the bar at the, the event, yeah, at the, at the motel. So when it gets around 9.30, you've probably had about three or four drinks by then. You're going to go to your room. You're going to say goodnight to everybody and you're going to leave. I've had this conversation already. Okay. And I know that this person, this person, and this person are going to come up and call me a weak bastard for wanting to leave early. But you know what? We've already had this conversation. We've, we agreed that you were going to leave. And I go, yes. So when it gets to 9.30, I don't have to think about, am I going to leave or not? I've already had this discussion with my past self and we agreed that I would leave at 9.30. So then I leave. So... And then I have a backup plan. I'll usually tell a very, very responsible friend that if I'm still here at 9.35, drag me out. Yeah. Just because my future self gets irresponsible. <laughs> it's always great to have a backup plan as well, mate. How does good about that is the next day when you rock up and you're feeling really good and you are your best self and you see everybody else who isn't, it's almost like you give yourself a pat on the back and you go, that was a really good decision you made at 9.30. Yeah. It doesn't mean you go to bed. It means you might just go to the room. You still might have another drink. The idea is you don't have another 12 drinks. 
you don't stay out until two in the morning. It's just knowing when, when enough's enough. Yeah. And how do we, like, how do you show up as, as the best version of you, like on a day-to-day basis in a clinic room or, or in your space to, to interact okay. with patients? I, I think nothing beats good preparation. Being at work early is to, to me, if you start at 8.30 with the first patient, rocking in at 8.29 is not a good way to start the day. So if your first patient is 8.30, be at work by at least, at least 10 past 8. Go and have your coffee. Get yourself prepared. Make sure your room is ready. Yeah, even the day before, look at all the patients you've got coming in and there's everything in place and ready for those patients. So in podiatry, we've got a lot of inserts and shoes. Are they all here? Are they ready to go? So when the day starts, even if there's a couple of hiccups, you're, you're prepared. To me, I think nothing beats good preparation. Yeah, I've had podiatrists work with me who would rock in at 8.29. They're quickly trying to scoff a coffee down. So they end up taking the first patient in three or four minutes late and the day just spirals out of control. All of a sudden, oh, I was supposed to fit this pair of inosols. I hadn't done them yet. I forgot to do them. Or someone was supposed to drop the shoes off, but they didn't, they hadn't dropped them in yet. How am I supposed to do it? And the day just spirals out of control. Whereas I was really, I don't know, I just had these blinkers on that. I just think if you prepare the day before, for the next day, then even if there's a couple of hiccups, you just get back on track really, really quickly. Yeah. And I think that every time you have like, there's, there's those stress responses you get to running late and to, to not being prepared, it it causes you to stress out more. And as that stress builds over the course of the day, it leaves you less capacity to cope when something does go pear-shaped because in healthcare, things go pear-shaped all the time. On a daily basis. So yeah, like having that, yeah, having that, that preparedness just gives you that extra buffer to cope and to still yeah. be your best self, to not be pushed over the edge to someone who's kind of tearing their hair out, running around like a headless chicken. Well, when you're running behind and all of a sudden, yeah, I always say when emotions are high, intelligence is low. So when, when you're running behind and, and all of a sudden you've got a patient sitting in front of you who has a genuine problem. But they feel, and they feel like they need to talk about it a little bit more. And you're looking at your watch and you're trying to push them through. Well, you're thinking about, oh, geez, I'm running behind. You're not listening to them. So to me, you're not giving the patient the best version of yourself. And all it came down to was a bit of preparation the day before or coming in earlier and being ready and just making sure everything is lined up. I just think it just sets, it sets you up for a great day and it sets the patient up for the best experience. Yeah. And to use your, to use your future self analogy that you've talked about a lot through here, it's being kind to your future self. Yeah. Look after him. Look, cause in, yeah, you want him to be there. Mm. So and to me, and I'd also, if I had a really busy date when all of a sudden you're just going, oh, this is going to be, this is going to be one of those days that everything just has to run like clockwork. But I would also identify patients before the day started. If for some reason the, the day derailed, these are the two patients that you'll call and see if you can move them to another day. At, at this time, if I've derailed by here, call them up because they're really flexible and easy going and there won't be a problem and that would give you back on track. So it was like, plan to have a great day, but also plan that if things derail slightly, do you have a backup plan to get you back 
on track and don't let don't let it spiral out of control. So I'll I'll be always just planning stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the preparation to to allow yourself that buffer, but also then having that backup plan there just in case you're getting close to to what to what you can handle, the level that you can that might tip you over the edge. Yeah. Well other than having a brain book, the other book that was really important that you always told people about is have a disaster folder. Plan for the worst. Plan that you rock up at work, you've got yeah, there's three podiatrists working, there's yeah, fifty patients booked in for the day. You rock up and there's no power. What do you do? Most people go, oh geez, oh no, I'd just throw the towel and go, no, well, no, you can't do that. So what do you do? Step it out. Think about it. And plan for the worst possible outcomes with power, water, just anything. Yeah, you know, a staff member bringing it 829 so they can't come in and sick, but they've got 15 patients booked in. And four of those patients have traveled two hours. So you, you know they're turning up. What do you do? Who do you move around? How do you adjust things? How do you keep everybody happy? To me, this is this is preparing to be your best self in the worst situations. But if you don't think about it beforehand and work out what you're going to do, so I already had planned out that if we rocked up and the building was burned down. I knew exactly, I, had a, I already had it written out. This is exactly what we do. We ring this place here. I know I can get a room here. We can get a room over here. Because my goal is while everything's getting rebuilt, I don't want to lose my staff. I don't want to lose my patients. So I already had planned out that if I rocked up and the place burned down, I'd go, fine. It was already, already knew what to do. Didn't have to think about it at the time. To me, that's being that's turning up for yourself is being prepared for all situations. Yeah, that's great advice, Tyson. And nothing. That's a great note to, to wrap things up on as well. If people are interested in finding out more about you, listening to you talk more, what's the best way for them to do that? Go to my website. Just go to tysonfranklin.com. Really simple. And uh, all check out the Podiatry Legends podcast. Yeah, that's uh, you get to hear me talk on there all the time, and uh, and you'll be a guest on there in the not too distant future. But yeah, just get my website because the podcast links to the podcast are there, my books and other things that I'm doing. Awesome, mate. That is a wrap. Thanks everyone for tuning into the show. If you've enjoyed it, then make sure to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss any of the weekly episodes. If you want to support the show, the best thing you can do is to share this out with a mate that you reckon might enjoy it. And if you want to enhance your skills in this area even more, then watch out for the Art of Healthcare community coming in 2021. It's a truly interdisciplinary space for us to upskill our art. If you want a sneak peek, for more info, head over to artofhealthcare.mn.co. That's artofhealthcare.mn.co. And a couple of quick thank yous. First of all, thank you to my brother Jeremy Desmond for the amazing theme music. And thank you to you guys for joining me as we look to improve our art.